Owning a small business can be overwhelming. How can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. There's so many places to reach customers. Email, text messages, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live events. The list goes on. How are you, as the business owner, expected to own all of those channels? That's where Constant Contact comes in to help. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. I use this to grow my email list, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Links and Locks tournament preview for the Honda Classic. I'm Roberto Arguello and joined alongside Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish, as I am every week to break down this week's tournament. We've had some struggles with John Rahm wrecking the top of the board, well, wrecking the whole board for us in the last few weeks. But overall, in this early 2022-2023 PGA Tour season, we've had success when John Rahm doesn't win tournaments. And guys, I guarantee you, John Rahm's not going to win the Honda Classic this week. So let's get into it. I'm excited to be here alongside these guys. Spencer, what's your best bet for this week? You know, it's kind of the same problem we keep running into. I, I don't know how much I love these boards from the whole percentage that are that's out there in all these shops. And, you know, you look at some of these head-to-head matchups, and I, and I think that there's a few that are you can consider, and that's obviously a good thing. But I'm going to go more into your alley here, I think, Roberto, of, of a player that you have been on probably more than anybody in the space. And I'm going to say Carl Yuan. Uh, plus 850 to come inside the top 20 over on bet 365 this week. I love it. And we've started spewing some of your propaganda and you started spewing some of mine. So <laughs> I also have some call you on plays plural. We'll get into that in a little bit. Nick, how about you? What's your best bet for this week? It's disgusting. Um, but Ryan Palmer outright 70 to one. Um, just a number grab for me. I, I did not find much in the placement market that really intrigued me. And what is available out there in the market is kind of uh, squeezed to all hell. So we're going to shoot for the moon on old man Ryan Palmer turning back the clocks 70 to 1. So I wear a Longhorn jersey one time and Nick's first pick is on an Aggie. So we'll see how that goes this week. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> that was personal. <laughs> I'm going to go with Will Gordon also jumping into the top 20 market alongside Spencer. Uh, at top 20 plus 260 also on bet 365 your sponsor of the links and locks golf betting podcast i like that before we get into uh, our best bets and why we're betting them let's go into a course preview here of pga national we're done with the poana greens over on the west coast as we move now to the florida swing spencer what are you emphasizing in your model this week Yes, yeah, so PGA National has historically been one of the most challenging venues on the PGA Tour for a non-major. 15 holes present a combination of 26 sinkable water hazards. That answer sort of explains Florida courses in a nutshell. Since water adds this unquantifiable metric to models, that can become difficult to interpret mathematically. 
We've seen the cut line tread from two over to six over during the past five years. All of that stems from the inability to scramble yourself out of danger. And, and I think it's really interesting to look at last week when I give that answer. So if you look at the tournament or any tournament like the Genesis, wayward drives or approach shots could get bailed out with a clean short game. However, all of that goes out the window at the Honda Classic because a wandering error will provide the dreaded waterbound answer that quickly balloons your total. I always find it interesting when looking at this course that the bear trap holes of 15, 16, and 17 will make most of the headlines when talking about the difficulty that they present. But holes 5, 6, and 7 are almost equally as challenging for the field. When you add that to the mix of the amplified hazards that I mentioned previously, the 107 sand traps that are littered throughout this property, you know, golfers can begin to feel trapped by the unforgiving landmines that pop up at all turns. I decided to weigh my model with seven data point categories from a statistical perspective. If you want to dive deeper into that, you can make a copy of my model over on Twitter at Tee Sports. But I took three basic recalculated categories of stroke gain metrics to mimic this course. That would be stroke gain and blustery conditions. So anytime that we have average to severe wind, hard par 70 tracks, and fast Bermuda. Um, I ran an interesting weighted scoring category that projected out all 18 holes for each golfer in the field. That's something that I've been doing every single week, and I've liked how my model has been performing there. For reference sake, top five of that would be Sungjae Im, Shane Lowry, Aaron Wise, Cameron Davis, and Taylor Pendrith. I ran two defensive categories in sand save percentage and bogey avoidance. And then I did a remeasuring of strokes gain off the tee plus approach. That highlights the historical proximity ranges at this track over the last five years, and then merged it in with some total driving returns to land on that answer. You know, overall though, Roberto, kind of just to simplify this, it's Florida courses are tough. A, a single error, anytime that you land in water, it kind of, adds a headache from a modeling perspective. I'm not saying that's like a good or a bad thing. It's just different. So I tried to go in and a lot of times when you run a model, specifically from like a DFS perspective, you're always trying to find birdie makers at the end of the day. But I think here you want to try to find the bogey avoidance numbers and the sand save percentages and golfers that are going to like these proximity ranges. So for me, it's it's much more of a model to limit errors that are going to be made versus then trying to find upside. And that just adds a different feel to, to the whole end game of what I'm trying to build here. That makes a lot of sense. And players talk about why they love Riviera. There are no water hazards or penalty areas with water on the course. And you can recover from your mistakes, but you're still going to be penalized for them. Whereas this week, if you're off by two yards in some spots, you're going to have a huge penalty. Like you said, you can't pitch out of a water hazard. So that's going to be a big difference. Also, with this being the one non-designated event between four con consecutive designated events, it's going to be a way watered-down field. Fewer elite players, like you said, Sung Im and Shane Lowry are your two top players in your model. And I believe they're the only two players inside of plus 2,000 generally across the board this week. So that presents a different challenge as well when there aren't game breakers like John Rahm who can just ruin the whole board. Uh, we've talked a lot in depth about the top three players right now, uh, including Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Roy McElroy, and even Max Homa emerging as potentially the fourth best player in the world right now. What are y'all's strategies as far as betting outrights when you don't have any of the elite of the elite players in the field this week? I, I think for me, it's tournament by tournament that I look at it. Um, you know, there's certain events where a golfer might be, 
better in the win equity that's presented. And just to kind of give an answer on that, and I'd be curious to hear Nick's answer in a second. Sungjae, now he's not bettable at the prices that we see at those eight to ones, nine to one, 10 to one numbers, but my model did have him uh, about two and a half times more likely to win this event than anybody else in the field. I think that's a substantial total. Like, you know, in an ideal world, if I could have gotten him at 13, 14, 15 to one, I probably would have considered it, but He's kind of this week's version of John Rom. Now, the difference is John Rom on any given week has more win equity to actually go out and win the tournament. But I, I don't think it's an outlandish comment to say that Sung Jay's potential in this field is as high. I just don't know if he gets the job done as frequently. And that's kind of where I'm going to build it not at the top of the board. Like I found a, a golfer, you know, if we wanted to go down to 27 to one that I liked a lot that I actually thought had the second best win equity in this field. And I thought we were getting a couple points there, but I don't know, for me, it's a tournament by tournament thing, but I'd be curious to hear Nick's answer on that. Yeah. I would elaborate the same. Um, not as much like my numbers aren't as high on Sanjay as Spencer's are. It's not two and a half more win equity than anybody else. I do have them significantly higher than Shane Lowry, but not two and a half. And those are pretty much like you said, Roberto, the only guys that are sub 20 to one on this uh, on this event coming up here. So I just grabbed value with guys that I believe have win equity. I did have some value on JT Poston early, didn't really like the form and only had two or three points of value on that ticket from what I could find in the marketplace. So didn't go there. But I did tweet earlier about Steven Yeager. My numbers have him at 40 to one. There was a 55 to one laying out there. So for, to me, I'm just taking these eight plus point gaps that I could find on guys that I do think can win an event, especially in a weaker field. So I went with Steven Yeager. And then again, Ryan Palmer, I think a lot of the market has him at 50 to one. I have him at 46. So again, that's just a massive number of discrepancy or uh, discrepancy in my numbers to the market. And then a guy that I uh, like, I guess another way to answer this question is I'm looking for young upside. So not necessarily on car you want, but um, Roberto, I was pumped when you said it. Will Gordon, is one of my favorite players this week. He's on my season-long fantasy team, so I'm a bit of a homer. But um, <laughs> one shop opened up 80-1 to 1 yesterday on him, and that has skyrocketed down. I think he's pretty much exclusively in the 50s as well. So I was pretty much just going after young talent and then number grabs, and that's really um, kind of what I'm doing right now because, again, I do believe Sanjay has by far you know the best odds of winning this event. But it's a an unbettable number. I think me personally, I couldn't even get there unless it was 14 to 1 for Sanjay. So for me, I'm just not betting the top of the board. So maybe this is a tournament where we could really start to attack the live market. But my favorite thing is just number grabs on guys that I truly believe in that are in form and uh, young upside that, you know, could potentially get their first win on tour in this event. Nick, I'm coming at it from the very same perspective as you. Uh, before we get into my picks, Spencer, let's break down your outright card this week. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of, I, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything that Nick just said there also. And and if we're looking for a guy that used to be on your season long team that no longer is, uh, that would be Cameron Davis, who I actually do have an outright bet on this week. So first week on my team, you might get a victory here, but uh, it kind of comes down to the same answer that Nick said, just to elaborate on that. I'm trying to number grab these situations the best I can. And, and the first play that I took I technically only had two points of value and you know, that's maybe not enough to actually punch a wager on it. But as you know, Roberto, I have been extremely bullish on Aaron wise throughout this entire past six months of us doing this show. 
So I took him at 27 to one on bet three, six, five. I've seen that as high as 27 and a half to one if you shop around. But Wise is one of those prototypical golfers that receives a massive boost in certain parts of the country. When you think of it here, that would be coastal Bermuda. That's always been beneficial for the upside that it presents him. And my bottle believes that he has a significant chance to be the 2023 version of Sam Burns. I've given that answer on this podcast over the past few months. It's not something that I'm coming out with for the first time. But I do think that if he can hit a rhythm here over these next couple tournaments, we see him start catapulting up the official World Golf rankings. He ranks second in my model on those aforementioned fast Bermuda surfaces over the past year. When we look at the tee to green sense of that, and then his expected weighted scoring and playing the win generates top five marks in my sheet. Uh, I'm going to go with the young upside in a different way than Nick did. I took Taylor Pendrith at 40 to one. Uh, I would give this exact answer about the following two golfers that I'm going to discuss. So I'll only say it once, but you don't typically think of a club down course that asks for accuracy when you talk about Taylor Pendrith, but the math behind his game yields an interesting profile that might not be what you would expect. Pendrith grades 13th in this field when facing a less than driver venue on tour and his projected increase on fast Bermuda and weighted proximity when mimicking this course to his baseline totals should add to the likelihood that we see the Canadian walk out of this week with his first title on the PGA Tour. As I talked about a second ago, I took Cameron Davis at 50 to 1. It's a very similar mentality that I talked about with Pendrith. I don't know if the safety is as clean as somebody like Pendrith, but... And that would be more from a head-to-head sense or, you know, if you're looking at like a top 40 bet, if you were going to get there for any reason. But uh, the upside jumps into being a top 10 player in this field if he can provide his best quality this week. We've seen some of that potential come into play in the past. And then his first place rank for weighted proximity and fourth place mark for weighted scoring just adds to what I'm trying to find here. And then I decided to take two long shot bets to wrap up my card in Carl Yuan. 200 to one and Austin Eck wrote 230 to one. Now those two numbers that I'm mentioning, if you shop around in the space, I believe you can find you on at 210 to one. And I think you can find Eck wrote at 310 to one. So there's some really good numbers out there. If you want to like, you know, shop from shop to shop, but Roberto, you have been the leader of the you on army so far this season. Uh, we haven't always got the outcomes that we would have hoped during some of these contests, but the price is exceptionally enticing because of that factor. My model can find a way to have him crack the top 25 in win equity when I emphasize fast Bermuda, ball striking, and weighted scoring, making this one of those spots where the potential is worth the small risk of the unknowns. You know, if you, everybody out there remembers, it wasn't too long ago that we saw Yuan under 100 to 1 in much better fields than the one we have this week. And then Road is delivering one of those Davis Thompson sort of profiles that my model always loves. It's that around the green game that's going to have the red flags galore that are going to pop out. But there wasn't a category out of the seven that I ran where he ranked outside the top 45 in this field. Uh, you should always probably give a little more leeway when handicapping the young golfers for all the reasons that we just said a second ago. I think there's more unknowns and I think unknowns in the outright market can be a good thing, but I don't know. I mean, my model from an upside perspective really liked Ekrote this week, and I don't know if he can get the job done, but there's also other ways to play it. Like, we'll get into it when we talk about placement bets with Yuan and Ekrote, but, you know, whether it's a top 20, uh, there's a head-to-head -head bet that I kind of like a little bit with Yuan. I think there's a lot of areas of this market where we can get aggressive, and to me, it's one of those tournaments where we want to try to get as aggressive as we can, just because... It's Sung JM, it's Shane Lowry. If you want to throw a Aaron Wise and Alex Knorr and a Billy Horschel into that group, sure. 
But then the board gets really weak from beneath that. And it wouldn't be that shocking to me to, you know, if we find out in a year, Taylor Pendrith has ascended himself up into like more of a level than where he is right now. So I'm kind of trying to take shots on some of those players this week. I haven't bet anybody shorter than 50 to one this week, but if I had to, I like the value on Pendrith the most. We saw that run that he had last year after he re- he came back from injury where he had all those top 13 finishes. And you mentioned the firepower off the tee, which we don't necessarily associate with shorter courses. But of course, as we mentioned before on the podcast, length is always an advantage. And he was a President's Cup player. I mean, he was one of the top tier players in the world last year. So in a field like this, I like the buy low-ish opportunity at him around 40 to one. Uh, getting back to Carl Yuan, I also took him around 200 to one to win outright, just a sprinkle at uh, 0.045 units to win 8.1. And then, but the reasoning behind it is the shift to Bermuda, to Bermuda grass and also his high ceiling on approach, which I'm not sure that we're completely factoring in. He's only had eight tournaments that have been tracked on approach and he's gained over 0.89 strokes per round in five of those eight over the three that he didn't were disasters. Uh, (laughs) He also, in his three made cuts so far on the PGA Tour, all three of them came on Bermuda grass, which is what we're shifting to now. And so getting away from the POA, even though he did go to the University of Washington out there in Seattle, I think it'll fit his game. And as we said on the Corn Ferry Tour, he showed that he has a high ceiling. In 22 starts, he had seven top five finishes, and he also had one win. He's got a funky swing, some weird warm-up drills where he practices shanking the ball. So he's certainly an eclectic guy, but I think he's got a relatively high ceiling with approach. And if he can just find accuracy off the tee, which is one of the weaknesses in his game, he's super long. If he can just stay dry, I think he's got a chance this week with that Bermuda grass favoring him. Also going with Hayden Buckley, a guy who's a little bit different than Yuan uh, in that, He is elite off the tee already. He's not having to get there. And we know that because Buckley is fifth on tour this year in strokes gained off the tee. He's above average both with length and also with driving accuracy, but better with accuracy. He's 22nd on the tour so far this year. And in his 10 starts on tour this year, nine of them, he's been above average for that tournament's driving accuracy percentage. And the one tournament where he wasn't above average, he was 1% below average. So he missed one fewer ferry than the average person or even less than that. So he's got a really high floor for me. If Hayden Buckley is presented in some matchups that you see someone you want to fade going against him, I think that's a good play. And he also just doesn't make mistakes. And Spencer, you mentioned that you want to factor that into your model this week where 10 under par has won more often than not in this tournament over the last 10 years. Hayden Buckley ranks in the top third of the tour in both bogey avoidance and three putt percentage, which will be key at PGA National where it has bigger putting surfaces than than normal. Uh, which is also a reason why I'm not playing strokes gained around the green or not factoring that in as highly as usual this week. And then finally, my last outright play, who is also one of my best bets, that's Will Gordon. I got him at 70 to one, or he's out there right now at 70 to one on one book. I think most other places he's at six at 55. Um, I got him at open yesterday at 80 to one, but I'd bet him down to 60. And that's 0.12 units to win 8.4. And I think he's got a high floor and high upside from T to green. He's above average on approach off the tee and also in the bunkers, which we mentioned there's a lot of bunkers this week. And in nine track tournaments on tour, he's not lost more than 0.25 strokes per round on approach. So he's going to be strong off approach. The question is, 
is he going to blow up? One of the last times I bet on him was at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. He actually got to eight under par through 15 holes and was very, very briefly the betting favorite in the tournament after the betting favorites entering that week didn't do that well the first day. The wind was blowing down the stretch there at Pebble and he went bogey, bogey, triple bogey, um, which isn't what you want to do in any tournament. And then he eventually faded the next day and with the weird weather, he ended up withdrawing because he wanted to make it to Phoenix for the next tournament. But Will Gordon is someone who is younger, just a second year on tour. He's long and he has the high floor, high upside where he's above average in birdie average, but also in bogey avoidance. So I think he can go low. If we can just avoid the wind from blowing him off the course this year or this week, I think he could have some success. Um, so not only have I bet him outright, but as I said, got him in my best bet for top 20 plus 260. Also, he looks somewhat like Nick Bretwish. So <laughs> never seen them both in the same room at the same time. And if Will Gordon goes on to win next week and Nick doesn't show up, I think we know where he's gone with this. Uh, I can't hit the driver like that. But one thing I want to add, I absolutely love the play and you know who he grades out. So I like to run this tournament like back test. Mm -hmm. my numbers to see like who would I bet that week um, for the past, you know, like five to six years, dude, Will Gordon looks primed up. I'm not saying he's going to win, but if there was anybody to kind of ride the same coattail that Keith Mitchell did in 2019, they are very, very, very similar. Just monsters off the tee, you know, especially getting strokes off the tee, high upside irons. You you ha kind of have a mixed bag with him, just like you do with Keith Mitchell, man. I had him at 100 to one last week and he just could not get anywhere close to the hole. And when he did, he couldn't make the putt last week. So that was a bummer because I feel like Rom and Homa kind of left the door open for him for a while. But I, Will Gordon, also from the Southeast, like mm -hmm. Keith Mitchell. I think Keith Mitchell is a Georgia guy. Will Gordon's out of North Carolina. I don't know what school he went to, though. But Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, that's right. Okay, so I think all the stars are aligning here. I like you said, I would bet him all the way down to sixty to one. I think it's a perfect spot for him, high upside. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's one of my favorite plays. And the other guy that graded it's very similar to how Keith Mitchell did in twenty nineteen was Taylor Pendrith. So I think uh, you guys are on some sharp plays there, and I really like it. I wish that eighty one number was out there again because I've only put. I think I put 1.2 units on it as well, same as you. So I may have to double dip on in bet a bad number, which is something I don't believe in, or a worse number than what was already out there at 61 on Will Gordon. But absolutely love him, man. So just wanted to throw that out there that he grades out just like Keith Mitchell would have pre-tournament in 2019. Also, quick question while I'm ranting here. Why is Keith Mitchell not playing this week? I was about to ask the same thing. It's I thought like, for sure we'd see him this week. If there's any like any tournament that he can win and finally get his ticket back to Augusta, which he was very good at at Augusta in 2019 too, I think he finished in the top 40 right around there. Um, but yeah, pretty much the same age as Will Gordon is right now was Keith Mitchell's 2019 season. So follow the clues here, people. Will Gordon's going to win this week. But yeah, I'm just very disappointed that Keith Mitchell's not playing this week because he's already won here and the field is as weak as it's been in years, in my opinion. And he's just not trying to get into Augusta. I don't know if he's got family things, but just really confused when I didn't see his name in the field this week. Why are a lot of people not playing? Like, I mean, we can branch this beyond Keith Mitchell also. I mean, like there's, you would think a guy like Alex Smalley would fit really well here. Um, mm. if, if we're talking yeah. about around the green getting mitigated some, it's kind of that Davis Thompson sort of feel. Now, I know Davis Thompson has gotten himself into the top 70 of the world, but that's still not good enough to get into a lot of the tournaments that he wants to. So 
I'm not saying it's a perfect fit for Thompson and maybe it's not a perfect fit for Smalley either, but we need points. It's a weaker field. You can go win this tournament as, you know, a guy who's under 30 years old that needs the points. So I don't really get it. And then just really quickly before we move on, I, I really like that Keith Mitchell comparison, Nick, that you just gave for Will Gordon. When I look at my model and the way that I want to run things, so he's 14th for distance. And sure, you can make the argument that distance is not the be-all, end-all here. He's accurate, but the, too. But then, yes, and he is 10th in good drive percentage, which only takes, you know, like these club-down spots and different scenarios with it. So that's one of the best combinations you can find in my model of somebody who's going to add the distance, the good drive percentage. He ranked uh, 11th overall for me. I wish I would have gotten the 80 to one number before that drop that kind of vanished before I had an opportunity to bet it. But uh, this feels like a really good spot for him. Yeah. Just take that top 20 with, uh, with Roberto. I think that's really yeah. good. That's a ticket that I, that's a, a pod bet that I am on now as well. So All right. thank you for that, Roberto. So I think that he's someone you could find in matchups if you want to do it within the tournament yeah. um, or before the tournament, I haven't found any that I love, but I'm going to keep an eye on that going forward. Uh, I also think top 40, if you want to play it safe instead of a matchup, depending on the numbers you can get or something worth looking into. Um, I also wanted to workshop a play with you guys because Cameron Davis has been near DFL in the tournament's last few weeks, coming off of three straight missed cuts, lost strokes on the greens, around the greens, and on approach in all three of those missed cuts at the American Express, Farmers, and the Genesis. I know he's still got upside. Spencer, you have him in the top five and upside in your model. But if you want to fade Cameron Davis, how would you guys go about it? A couple options that I saw on bet three, six, five, you can get him for 42nd or worse at minus 120 in their player betting markets. I also saw Adrian Moronk over Cam Davis at plus 105, where a tie is a loss also on bet three, six, five. What do you guys think about him and that potential downside? We know about the upside and how to perhaps bet against him this week coming off of a few straight weeks of disappointing finishes. I guess I'll answer it because I'm more aggressively backing Cameron Davis this week. Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to fade him, I guess would be the answer to that. Like, I understand all the concerns that you just said. And I mean, we can make an argument that a lot of what's been really bad for him is he just can't make a putt within five feet. And I think there's some volatility and it's maybe not the most consistent market to look at week in and week out with it. Mm-hmm. The ball striking has been okay in some of these starts. I mean, he was really good to start the year and then he kind of got bad again, but this is one of those prototypical courses that I would expect him to find success on. Um, has he I ever mean, been this bad? Like for this long, three miscuts in a row, but like, yeah, like Roberto said, just like not losing, losing with fashion here. Well, I guess let me ask you this then. If, if I assume then you are with Roberto with what he said with it, would you rather take him 42nd yeah. or worse? Or would you rather take him against a head to head opponent, whoever that may be? I think I would take the 40. I mean, I like Morocco. Um, I don't know as much about him, but everything on paper seems like he's a well-rounded golfer and everything, but we haven't really seen a lot about him. So I probably wouldn't go there. I would just go with the, the implosion of 42nd or worse if I were to bet it, but I trust Spencer so much that I I do think that this is a good, you know, especially when he's trying to trade for Cam Davis right before the tournament starts, like something's <laughs> up here. Something's so up. I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say that Spencer pulled one on me and that this is a Cam Davis week, but yeah, just looking at his data though, I haven't seen him be this bad for three tournaments in a row since I, I don't even know if the year exists, maybe 2020, right. When the season kind of 
started back up in September, but that's about it. Yeah, However, I, I would. I, go ahead, Spencer. No, I was just going to say very quickly, I would also take him 42nd or worse if you force me to make a bet here um, in this situation. Like, I'm not going to punch that ticket, but I think that's probably the most conducive to trying to find success with it if you just want to bet on the downside. But he's the number one player in my model for weighted proximity. Like, that, that means something to me. So I'm also somewhat frustrated because we said he's lost strokes gain across the board in the last three tournaments, but that's only four tracked rounds because the American express, it was a 54 hole cut, but there was only one tracked round at PJ West. And then at farmers, there was only one tracked round at Torrey Pine South because the North wasn't tracked. And so you have limited and imperfect data there. And then the Genesis last week, you have two rounds, but it's not like he was coming super close to the cut line in some of these events either. So I'm going to have to wade into some of the numbers that aren't tracked, look at some more greens and regulation and um, driving accuracy, hole by hole stuff uh, to look at that. But perhaps I'll have a play on that tomorrow on the gimme on our live show at 530 Eastern. But he's someone that I think is really intriguing to see what happens this week. No matter what happens, it'll be interesting for me. He can run into some problems with the accuracy. I mean, if, if it goes south, it'll probably go south in that direction for him. But um, and and I'm just because I like a person, it's I mean, I've given this answer before where I really like somebody where I'm kind of fine fading them in matchups or fading them in different regards in that. I, I just I think he's so underappreciated because of the current form that he's been bringing to the table recently that. Some of these numbers are a little bit off from where my model believes to be accurate. And this is from somebody just throwing it out there that is running it from a two-year running perspective. So I'm going to have a much more aggressive outlook on the long-term. Like at his best, I think he's a top 10 player in this tournament. I I don't even think that that's probably arguable. But yeah, I mean, the current form looks bad right now, but I I don't really... I, I think when when numbers move so far in the direction against him that you all of a sudden reach a point that even if the bet becomes a winner, like you're kind of chasing the movement that's already happened on it. I completely agree. That's a great way to think about it. And that's why I think the upside is the way to bet him if you do want to back him or maybe a top 10 play, something in that fashion. But it's it's going to be interesting to see in this field. And one thing that I am throwing out is putting if you've been putting poorly on poa and you're coming down to bermuda grass especially if you're someone who's got a lot of experience on bermuda grass or has thrived in the past that's a plus where you can catch a number that you might not be able to catch in a couple weeks yeah and i mean cameron davis can't be worse with the flat stick right now so (laughs) i would rather him switch surfaces it wasn't working on poa let's let him give a shot chance with it on Bermuda. And like, there's positive trajectory numbers. I'm not saying it looks great, but you know, he's 76th in strokes gain putting on any surface. He's 53rd for this particular uh, grass type. So there's at least reason to believe that if the ball striking is able to be what I believe it can, that some of these putts might drop. And then all of a sudden it's the same concept that I always say with a, a golfer like Hideki, when the winning score is 10 under par, you now don't all of a sudden need to make as many putts. Like just Mm -hmm. if, if Cameron Davis isn't making that glaring error that puts him into the water, which maybe he gets inaccurate and he does make that mistake. But if he isn't making that mistake, all of a sudden, you know, get to seven, eight under par going into Sunday and you can win the tournament all of a sudden. Completely agree. And we saw that last week with a Will Zalatoris as well. Yeah. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Guys, let's go into the placement markets. Which bets have you not mentioned that you're on this week? Uh, do you want to start us off, Nick? I can do that. All right. There's one guy I wanted to talk about just a little bit. I mentioned Steven Yeager. I did go top 20 there at plus 250 was the best that I could find in the market. A little short for my liking, especially going on the top 20 market is something I don't usually like to do, but top 40s aren't very available this year. Or yeah, I guess this whole season, it's yeah. not been very good in the in the market right now. But what are your guys' thoughts on Kevin Roy? I did find a top 40 at plus 375. I have it at plus 310. And I don't, we, we don't really have a lot of data on this guy, but he looks like a, you know, like a poor man's Will Gordon. Like he looks like he could bomb it off the tee. Um, everything about him looks out. He's been a very good iron player so far this year. Hasn't made a cut since the RSM though, but he has missed the cut on the number at both the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am and the America Express. And his iron play was fantastic there. Amex, and I guess both of those are kind of, you know, short data, like uh, Roberto said, but the green regulation numbers look fine too. So what are your thoughts on Kevin Roy? I did also, disclaimer, I bet him at 650 to one to win. He has never won an event in his professional career. I don't believe Corn Ferry anything. So I just lit money on fire, but you know, it was fun to bet someone at 650 to one. So I had to do it. But what are your guys' thoughts on Kevin Roy? There's something about this kid that I think is just going overlooked. Like if he's missed the number cut on the number twice, I get this event. I, I think this field is weaker than even AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am was. Mm -hmm. I think this could be a decent spot for him to finish top 40, if especially getting over three and a half to one. You know, I, I'll, I love... I'll go ahead, Spencer. No, I was just going to say it, it's one of those situations where I think you could say a lot of names and you would have rhyme and reason to do so. Like I took Bryce Garnett at uh, six to one to come top 40. I mean, okay. can it get more gross than that? That's gross. That's <laughs> definitely gross. Yeah. This is a golf. I mean, maybe, sure. maybe betting Carl Yuan to win is a little grosser, but I, I don't want to <laughs> rain on your guys parade. I mean, there's a lot of gross things I have on this, but no, I mean, if your model sees something there, I think this is the tournament to take a chance on it. My numbers don't necessarily see it quite the same way when it comes to safety, but it, it does see some of that like upside. So I think if you want to take a chance on a golfer that's over three to one, it's, I mean, there's obviously worse bets you can make. And I've probably made a couple of ones that are worse this week. I like getting gross this week. Let's get into yeah. it. Let's get amongst it. The water hazards are going to penalize poor shots unevenly. If you just miss the water hazards, 
hit it to the fat part of the green, make some pars. Roy's numbers on approach are solid, especially from 150 to 175. His three-putt avoidance is pretty solid as well. If the other guys come back to the pack, only need top 40. I, I think it's I like it. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting play. I think there's I think there's a as I said, there's a lot of interesting routes that we can go this week. Spencer, do you have any other uh placement market bets? Sure. So I, I have a couple. Um this will be a bet three six five play inside of the position market. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I took Garrick Higo to come 46th or worse in that market. Look, his talent has been undeniable at times, but we're still looking at a highly volatile golfer with really no semblance of a built-in floor. He ranks 103rd for weighted proximity, 91st for my recalculated ball striking, 116th for the sand, and 119th for bogey avoidance. There's going to be some decent upside numbers to find when diving deep into this, but it's a boomer bust profile that I prefer taking on in various aspects of the market, especially here. If you're telling me that we just need to come outside the top 45, one of the kids that I am going to back this week is Sam Stevens to come top 40 at plus 165. I like the positive trajectory we've seen from him over the past two starts. Um, the outputs have been a little putter heavy in how he's gone about his production, but he's gained off the T in six straight, as well as averaging a shot per start with his irons over the last three appearances. Talked about the Garnett play. Um, and then I guess the last two would be two long shots inside the top 20 market of Austin Eckroat at plus 800. So that'd be eight to one. And Carl Yuan plus 850, eight and a half to one. My model just has positive trajectory for both of those players when we look at this tournament. Sure, the floor is going to be really low. And I mean, I know how Nick feels about Yuan at this point. So I'm not going to be able to convince him of that, I'm sure. But um, I have a head-to-head -head bet with you on that we'll get to in a second that I'll save some of my answers for why I like him so much for this week, but it's a very heavy week that I'm kind of trying to find these long shot bets that are unique and different from a lot of wagers people are putting out there. And I think whether it's a Roy or it's a Yuan or it's, you know, whoever you're on Roberto, like that, you're going to say like, there's, there's a lot of ways to go about it. Going back to Higo. I wanted to say he made some coaching change in the somewhat recently, and that's been part of why he's been playing better this year. I just sure. did a quick Google search and I couldn't find it. Um, but I'll come, I'll try to come back to that um, later on in the podcast. So I'm intrigued by him. It's a no bet for me, but I think if you want to fade him, the player market is a great way to do that, especially with his accuracy off the tee being erratic. Um, as far as my placement plays already mentioned the Gordon one, I also have the same bet as you on Yuan from top 20. And I also sprinkled him for top 40 as well at plus 210. I wanted exposure to him this week with the Bermuda grass being the surface that he's had the most success on. So for reasons I've already said, I'm on Yuan. I would have taken that same route as a top 40 bet. The reason why I didn't is because of the head-to-head -head wager I have. But um, this isn't one of those situations in my mind where it has to be such a boom or bust thing of a top 20 bet. Like I obviously like playing it up in the market with the volatility that he has shown over these past couple tournaments, but I think there's a lot of reasons to like him, it, and it can end poorly. Like I'm not trying to sell everybody on this to where this is some can't miss sort of a bet and all these wagers are going to come in clean. No, there's a ton of miscut potential that's mm -hmm. going to come into play, but there's also some back end stuff of my model that, is intriguing. And I, and I think that intriguing stuff in a tournament that's weak like this is kind of what you want to find because um, 
you know, there's, there's deviations that you can make to your model and these like little minor moves that can get done that really can present an edge. And kind of, as we've all said so far this week, there's so much water on this course and, and you said it Roberto best. It's like unfair sometimes where you might miss it by an inch and all of a sudden you're in the water. You can't scramble out of it. You make double bogey. I mean, there's a reason why this course is yielding double bogey rates as high or higher than any tournament in the world or on the PGA tour, at least here. So um, you kind of have to embrace the volatility and I would rather not have as many of those. And I mean, this even, we can make this answer an outright market bet too. That's one of the reasons why Sung Jay becomes harder to bet is just because one water shot can derail his whole tournament. And I'm kind of trying to push things as far as I can to embrace the volatility while still betting golfers that my model had value on. And case in point with Sungjae, he missed the cut here last year, but he's also got one of his two career PG yeah. Tour wins on this course. So I'm not factoring in course history as much as I do normally, not nearly as much as last week at Riviera because of that variance that you have from the water, water hazards and also bunkers as well. Yeah. Spencer, what is your matchup play with Carl Yuan? So I'm going to take him over Satoshi Kadaira. Uh, kind of as I alluded to, it's not the cleanest head-to-head -head wager since we have a heightened amount of miscut versus miscut potential. Uh, but it's essential to remember, as I said a second ago, this was a sub 100 to one golfer and feels much better than the one we have this week. I'm not sure we've gotten that production level bestowed upon us during the early stages of his PGA Tour career. However, he is still an extremely intriguing prospect that has shown a ball striking level that can find success on some of these water heavy tests that will negatively impact scores. If we look at his 121st place rank for around the green, that is where the problem stems from weekly. But there's something to be said about poor approach play and the fact that it puts you either in the water, as we keep talking about, or into a bunker. The first factor will be the detriment for every player in the field and enhances someone's ability to be able to ball strike, uh, at least if you want to move yourself up the leaderboard. But the second part of that answer is what intrigues me most, since he ranks 47th in this field when it comes to sand save rate. I'm not saying that is some error-free output that removes all danger from the equation, but anything is going to be an upgrade when, you know, I think when you're outside the top 100 of a field like this in strokes gain around the green, that kind of just enhances and shows even more so how bad that those short game metrics are for him. So if you're telling me that some of that gets taken and removed from the equation and he's either going to have his irons dialed into where he's going to give him a self a chance to putt, or he's going to be in a bunker and he can then use that part of his short game rather than the prototypical route that we would expect in most weeks. That only can help him here. And sure, you can give a very similar answer to Kadaira. I, I think the approach play looks really good. Um, there's some routes there where he's probably a decent, like if you want to push Kadaira up into a top 20 bet, it's a similar mentality that we're talking about on Yuan. But uh, I just think from a, a talent perspective, from a safety perspective, and from a lot of those routes, um, the minus 110 price that I saw was too low. I had it more in the minus 135 range. So 25 points of value was enough for me to punch a ticket. I, I don't think that this is some shoe-in victory. Um, if this went miscut, miscut, I'm not going to be shocked. But, you know, a miscut, miscut can still win us this battle here. And it's kind of what I like in the head-to-head -head market. It's I'm always trying to find an opponent that I want to take on. And when it happens with a golfer that I'm at least somewhat bullish on, all the better with it. I like it. 
And before we get into anything else, I just want to give a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Spencer, are there any other players that you're looking to take on whom perhaps you haven't found in an outright market that you might want to fade this week? Sure, I'll... I'll look at my model. I'll tell you some of the most overrated players for me. So, I mean, that would be a, a Garrick Higo. I mean, to go back to him, I, I don't know in a matchup sense, like this might be an in tournament sort of a perspective that I'd like to find on him. Um, I, I don't know. I like, I, I'd be curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on Min Woo Lee. I, I'm not going to probably get to him. My model has so much, like it runs primarily from the PGA tour. So like guys like Moronk and Minwoo Lee are never going to grade well for me. And, and I think we've unfortunately probably missed a lot of the movement because I've seen anybody that Lee is against. Uh, it seems like all the sharp money has gone in the other golfers direction. So you've probably missed the boat on that. I don't know if I'm so aggressive compared to most people, but I'd be curious to hear what you two think. Eight consecutive top 13 finishes on the DP world tour for Minwoo Lee. He's and... in form. So great form. And his last start on the PGA tour was at the open championship where he did finish in a tie for 21st. Yeah. So a long, a long way back since he's been seen in the States, but sharps have hopped on him. He's already down to 25 to one, I believe. Um, yes. That's what you can find him at bet three, six, five tied for the fourth shortest odds. A lot of unknowns for me with, with Lee, his approach numbers have been solid, but not great. And relative to the fields that he's playing in with the fields, some of the guys he's lost to, um, for example, John Rom beat him in one of these events where he finished in the top five, and he also lost to a Shane Lowry in some of these other ones. So guys at the top of the field have been great, but the middle bottom of the fields compared to the PJ Tour on the DP World Tour, very different. Also don't have data for a couple of those tournaments, but the approach numbers aren't awesome, and the accuracy off the tee gives me some hesitation this week. So it's a no bet for me, but I'm very intrigued to see how he does this week and seeing if he does play in any events further on in the PGA tour, but with him in the outright market at 25 to one, it's just not there for me. See Roberto, that's, what's interesting that you just pointed out there. So, you know, he's the fourth favorite to win this event, but he's not necessarily priced that way against opponents. Like I would have loved to have grabbed an Aaron wise wager against him. That's not something mm -hmm. that we can find in the market right now. And, and maybe, you know, some book will pop something up and same Answer for an Alex Noren. I, I have seen some Alex Noren pricing. It's run too far out in the Noren direction for me to feel comfortable betting it. But if you could find that minus 110, minus 115 range, I, I do think it becomes intriguing. Um, he's one of those boomer bust players to where I don't really know what to expect. I, I wish I could find the right opponent against him, but it's more of that, you know, like Denny McCarthy versus him sort of a battle. And I mean, as everybody who listens to this show knows, I'm not really a Denny McCarthy person. So I would, it's just a pass for me in, in those types of bets. And even like the Matt Kuchar wager that I saw, it feels very 50, 50 ish. So um, I don't know if there will be a bet. Like, obviously if something changes from an in-tournament perspective and they offer Aaron Wise against him in round one, I might be intrigued to jump in in that capacity. But uh, I mean, I guess Higo would be the answer. That would be the simplified answer of, I would like to take him on because I don't think that when they release him at a 50 to one golfer at a lot of shops, I don't believe he's a 50 to one player in this field. 
Nick, any other plays that you haven't mentioned yet that you would like to talk about before we go into rapid fire? No, uh, cool. Actually, yes. Quick question for you guys. Okay. Hayden Buckley over Ben on even money. Thoughts? Go ahead, Spencer. Uh, so I, I, my model kind of likes um, Beyung, um this Let's week. Go with Ben. I, on. Yeah. Um, I go with what my model says. It's the Cameron Davis thing to where everybody oh. goes with Cam Davis now, and I just have it set for Cameron Davis, and I don't remove it, but. I, I don't know. I don't have a massive take on it. Uh, what about you, Roberto? I mean, I bet Buckley outright, so I'm going Buckley. Um, right. Big disparity in driving accuracy between these two guys, and I think that the two top fives from Benny on here at the Honda are something that, Spencer, you've mentioned recently where, of course, history isn't everything, but it's pushing a guy who's not in the class of another player into a matchup against him, and I think there might be an edge there, so I what was the price on Buckley in this one? Even money. Ooh. The thing I love I like about that. Buckley, and, and I mean, it's it's probably still a no bet for me, but the thing that I love about Buckley is he's an amazing off the tee player. And I mean, that's for like any tournament that you look at. And now all of a sudden you tell me that there's accuracy that comes into play. Like he's second in my model for total driving. So um, there's reasons to like him. I, I just, I, I think it's two golfers that are very close for me. And the last tournament where you have to find the fairways for me that on the PJ tour was the Sony open in Hawaii, where if uh, Siwoo Kim doesn't smack in a pitch um, or chip on the 71st hole, Hayden Buckley's in a playoff with him, finishing just one shot behind him. I think that the Sony open wildlife country club has some similarities. Benny on also finished T12 there. So solid result for him, even though he was below average and driving accuracy that week, it was, better than his average driving accuracy has been the last few weeks. So I think there's something to like there for Hayden Buckley in this correlation between these two courses. Nice. That's fair. Cool. That's it for me. All right. You guys ready for some rapid fire? Sure. I'm going to give you guys two names and I just want to hear which one you prefer this week. Uh, we can do it from an outright perspective instead of uh, more of a safety and matchup perspective. Okay. All right. So first Alex Noren or Matt Kuchar? Norn. Norn for me. I like Norn this week. I just want to, like, I, I don't love the number that you have to bet him to win this tournament, but mm. uh, Norn has legitimate win equity. Like, he's a top five win equity player for me. Minwoo Lee or Billy Horschel? I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I can uh. give the answer that I just gave about Minwoo Lee and take him. So I'll, I'll take Billy Horschel. Billy. Chris Kirk you know or how Adam I feel Spencer. About Billy. <laughs> Chris Kirk or Adam Spencer. Actually, Spencer. I think Kirk's I, overrated. I, I'm going to take Kirk, and my model has both of them inside the top 10, but I think we've gotten carried away this week with Svensson, Um, in a lot of these markets. Like, I've seen him push from 50 to 1 down to, you know, 30, 33 to 1. I, I don't know if I necessarily trust him as much as most other people. So another big riser this week, Jonathan Vegas against Harris English. Guys coming off of injuries. I'll take Vegas. Yep, same. Not very enthusiastic there. Um, Thomas Dietrich or Robbie Shelton? My my model always loves Dietrich. Um, I know Nick is probably higher on Shelton than I am from like a long-term perspective with it. The the one problem with Shelton, if there is a problem here, my model has him ranked 33rd. Um, You could make an argument that he loses some of his around the green potential here. And if you're going to take a little bit of that away, 
I mean, it just makes them a little bit worse than, you know, a little bit worse upside. Yeah, I like Petrie here. Guys, defending champion, Sepp Straka or Aaron Rye? Aaron Rye. Yeah, Aaron Rye for me also. Wow, okay. And last one, we'll do Brandon Wu or Joseph Bramlett, two Stanford guys. I've heard a lot of uh, people on Bramlett this week. Like he's super popular in various parts of the market. Um, I mean, I, that worries me depending on where you're playing him. But if we're talking about just actually winning the tournament, I will go with Bramlett. Hmm. I'll go the Bram wagon as well. Bramlett is someone who just missed my card. The driving accuracy has gotten better and the putting has been the big issue for him, but he's lost strokes gained on the greens in the last nine track tournaments. So that's a big issue, but he does have a T nine at the Houston open, which is also Bermuda grass. So he's someone I'll be looking at live this week to see how he does, at least with his driving accuracy and the approach play has shown that he has the potential to knock it out of the park. I mean, T seven at Pebble beach T 13 at farmers in his last two starts. He's made every cut and the last, I think eight starts. So he's a guy who, with that distance, if he can just find the fairway, I think he's got a chance to win this week. It's uh, like the it's like the Cameron Davis answer uh, to an extent that we were just talking about earlier. Now I'm going to give you the negative about Bramlett here. There's only two golfers in this field that are worse in my model putting on fast Bermuda than he is. So um, that's always scary. And I mean, like, but then again, when we're talking about just winning the tournament, I'd rather take that profile. I don't know if there's any floor with him. Uh, I mean, he very easily could miss the cut, but from like a win equity standpoint, I, I would rather bet on that ball striking acumen and, and try to build around it in that way. Gotcha. I also think the ball striking gives him a chance that other guys don't have in this field to get I would agree. To an extra gear. Yeah. Any final thoughts, guys, before we say so long from the Honda Classic this week? No, not for me. I mean, that's it's a pretty small card in general. Um, like, I never really want to have six outrights and such a minor card in other spots, but I'm just hoping one of those top 20 bets can come in. Um, that's going to be a big thing for me. Like all of those are to win about 1.4 to 1.6 units. Those are about as big as I ever get on wagers like that. And then um, all the other bets are to win like a unit and the outrights are to win eight. So, um, you know, it's a minimal card. Hopefully we can find some bets from an in-tournament perspective to try to to make some wagers on, but uh, just trying to get through this tournament and on to the next week where the board will hopefully at some point become better. Yeah, we've got two consecutive designated events coming up after this week. So the fields will be vastly different. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts before we say so long this week? Enjoy the Will Gordon PJ debut win. All right. So with that, we'll say so long here from the Links and Locks Golf Betting Podcast. Uh, that'll do it for us today. Uh, as always, we're presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week with Golf Bets Ben Everell and the Action Network's Jason Sobel. You can also catch Jason and me on The Gimme live tomorrow on Twitter, on YouTube, live. You can also watch it played back. Uh, that's at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to try to find some other matchups to incorporate. Maybe we find some Will Gordon. Maybe we get a top 40 play. Um, so check that out tomorrow. And then you can find us. Nick is on Twitter at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. 
You can find Spencer on Twitter at Tioff Sports. And then you can find me on Twitter at RobertoA213. Where else can we find your work this week, Spencer? So you can find me over at Rotoballer. I, I cover things from a bunch of different perspectives there. Uh, the model, all those numbers that I just ran off in this podcast today. You can find all that, that there. And then uh, I'll hopefully have an in-tournament bet tomorrow that I have over at Action Network. So, uh, you know, we'll see if the board gets better. Like, unfortunately, when these boards go in the wrong direction at the beginning of the week, you're kind of chasing it over the entire tournament. And a lot can be said about the Genesis last week in that regard. Um, there wasn't a ton of head-to-head wagers that I wanted. I was only able to find one. I got it on Sunday when I took Aaron Rye over Adam Svensson. That was found on the Action Network article. But trying to incorporate those into some of the Action Network pieces, so be on the lookout for that. All right. How about you, Nick? Just at Better Golf this week, B-E-T-T-O-R, Golf Pod on Twitter. Awesome. You can find my Sleepers Picks article on Action right now, and then I'll be on the Gimme tomorrow as well with Jason Sobel. So looking forward to that. And thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah, Sophia, and Matt. Thanks again for you, the listeners, for tuning in, especially if you made it this far to the very, very end. And here's to hoping all your bets hit the green and Will Gordon brings it home for us. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.